you've hit play on The Screen Companion, a show about helping you to decide what to watch tonight. Nineties kids movies, aka Gen Y childhoods. My special guest on this show is Stacy. Sup, everybody? Yeah. We're gonna talk about Home Alone from 1990 and Jumanji from 1995, both seminal kids movies from the 90s. Let's start with you giving us a little summary of Home Alone. You got a kid, huge family, who some magical way, through all this chaos during the holiday season, literally Christmas in a couple of days, gets left at home by himself and ends up having to defend the house against two bandits that are a piece of work, Marv and Harry. Played by Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, respectively. Of course, it's a kid's movie, so it's a happy ending. Overall, it's still a really good watch. Well, when was the last time you saw it? The last time I saw it was years ago. What stuck out the most about this particular watch? This watch, I was ready to laugh my ass off and just enjoy. I was in the mood, the moment I was feeling it, and sadly, I was disappointed. Ooh, ooh, interesting, interesting. It was still funny, don't get me wrong, but I guess coming from like the adult perspective, it wasn't torture. I remembered it being funnier. I actually forgot how much family stuff is in this movie. It's not as rebellious as I remember it being. It's like the 90s kids version of It's a Wonderful Life. It's got a strong central family message to it. Which I was shocked about too. Like I forgot all about that message, honestly. I didn't care about the message. I just love the comedy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> If we were to make this movie fit our nostalgia of it, maybe we would have put more burglar traps in it. I definitely would have, yeah. Skipping ahead, but that felt lacking. It felt a little lackluster for me. I remember there being a lot more as a kid. I don't know if I was laughing the whole time, just enjoying it, but it felt like I was missing some of them. It really is the climax of the movie, but there's no real build-up to it. And it's so memorable, if you took that out of the movie, you wouldn't really have anything to cling to otherwise. It wouldn't work. <laughs> the fact that that scene lasts all of 15 minutes is pretty surprising. Now, what about this, would you say, feels firmly set in the 90s? The intro with the cop who gets led into the house. Wait, did somebody let him in the house? Or did he just walk in? Like, even now, I'm still a little confused, even after watching it. I watched it earlier today, I'm like, whoa. This is definitely, definitely 90s, 80s, 90s thing. Like, no one could just walk in your house nowadays. Kids see the cop, they don't let him in. <laughs> yeah, show me your warrant. <laughs> That's like all reality shows, too. Like, everything. Warrant cop. And, of course, there aren't any smartphones, no internet. Those were such the days... If they had featured a Super NES, I would have jumped into the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> please, please let me go back. <laughs> uh. Do you think this is closer to being a movie for kids or adults? I'm totally biased in my opinion. Totally biased. 
for kids. <laughs> Think about it also, Stacey, from the perspective of somebody's first watch ever. It's got to be kids, man. Straight kids. I enjoyed the scenes where he's acting more adult than anything else throughout the whole movie. Besides the ending, of course, you know. It's weird. <laughs> totally weird. The opposite of when I first watched it, man. Is it because it's like the Venn diagram where you as an adult are overlapping with the kid from your childhood? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Oh, oh, look at him. He's at the grocery store talking about coupons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's only, he's like, what, first grade, second grade? Oh my God. <laughs> he's so adult. I think he's supposed to be eight years old. So maybe third grade, fourth grade. <laughs> exactly, man. <laughs> At this time, like 80s, 90s, it was that simple? You can do Really? It was that simple? Please show him doing his taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Give me something I can relate to. <laughs> I mean, there was the part where he realized he was home alone and he ate ice cream for breakfast. Yeah. I could relate to that. <laughs> yeah. Not that I do that all the time, but <laughs> there have been certain meals... I probably should have ate something better, and I just went with junk food. I <laughs> love that. If you were to assign a grade level to this movie, since you said you think it is more for kids, what grade do you think a kid should be in to really enjoy the movie? That's tough. Because when I first watched it, I vividly remember where I fell asleep on the movie, and then where I woke back up. <laughs> <laughs> And were you watching it with the whole family? Yeah, I think we were at the theaters, too. Oh. Yeah. It had to have been a re-release, because you would have been like one year old when the movie came out. It probably was. I don't know. I'd, I'd say about probably what, fourth, fifth grade. I think that's where it's going to peak. I was figuring fourth grade, because younger than that, I don't think some of the humor will land. Because as much as it is for kids, there are definitely jokes hidden in the margins for parents to enjoy. Big Brother Buzz is a... <laughs> he throws a lot of those out there, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there are at least a few strong themes in this, what one was the most satisfying to you? Might to be cheesy and go with the family. Uh like being thankful for your family? Yeah. Of course, my family wouldn't do all that stuff. I got left behind like he did. Let's be real. I know. I was so touched by the mom in this movie. Oh, yeah. The whole family's in France at this point, and she realizes they left Kevin home, and she's willing to do anything to get a plane ride back. Did you catch what she was offering to their one wife and husband? To get their plane ticket back? There was a litany of things she was offering them. They got her first class upgrades to the other flight. They got a Rolex, 500 bucks. A pocket translator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I didn't even know existed back then. But that's all telling me right there from the rip that uh, that family is rich. And when our bandits call that house the silver platter, they're totally right. The opening scene of the movie... They live at a frickin' mansion. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be like a four or five bedroom house. It's got a basement, an attic. It's got a kitchen that's bigger than some efficiency apartments. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. 
I'm not into castigating movies for presenting characters that are successful. Living the life when people in the audience, like myself, aren't living the life. <laughs> I'm not going to go like, oh, where's the representation? I want to see a bunch of losers that don't have five bucks between them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was a little off-putting in that it's hard to feel bad for Kevin at any point during the movie because he's crying over a giant bowl of ice cream or he goes into Buzz's room. Did you catch how big that freaking room is? Oh, yes. Yes. Growing up, did you get a room like that all to yourself or did you have to share a quarter of the size with somebody else? I did for a little while, yeah. But like I was the only guy, so eventually, you know, I got my own room pretty quick. And then he had like 10 shelves full of just toys, everything he wanted. Oh, yeah. Dad was making bank. He probably owned a bank. Minimum. With how rich they are, why isn't there a maid or some personal assistant instead of using their oldest daughter to do a head count of everybody before they go off to get to the airport. Oh, man. When I saw that, I instantly thought, this is the perfect recipe that shouldn't work. But when you're a kid, it worked fine. Now, you being the oldest of your siblings, could you relate to having responsibility foisted upon your shoulders? Like that? Yeah, out of nowhere. Keep track of everybody and everybody's at. You get home before everybody from school, like, oh... You just left them there? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta pay attention to what your sisters are doing. If anything happens to them, it's your ass. That's exactly how I went. <laughs> and you get to the point where you're like, Buzz, I don't care. Whatever. They'll be here tomorrow. Going back to the themes, considering how much of the movie Kevin is a jerk or a little too confident in himself... I like the theme that you should acknowledge when you've been a pain in the ass. And with how much Kevin is a punk throughout the movie, it was nice to see him explicitly repent in the last act when he's at the church talking with old man Morley. The guy asks him, have you been good this year? And he says, no, actually, I haven't. He's <laughs> like, that's right, you little bastard. No, you haven't. You live next to me, don't you? You can say hello when you see me. You don't have to be afraid. Been a good boy this year? I think so. You swear to it? No. Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, this is the place to be if you're feeling bad about yourself. It is? I think so. I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. Yeah. I'm kind of upset about it because I really like my family. Even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. Especially with an older brother. I enjoyed that scene too. More than I expected the second watch. Way more than I expected to enjoy it. It's because back then you identified with Kevin. Now. 
Now you feel like old man Morley. It's <laughs> not <laughs> true. It's not true. Same thing happened to me. It's like, true. I wish I had an old dude to talk to. <laughs> if I showed up at that church, I'd push that kid aside and say, hey, the adults are talking, okay? Sit over there for a second. <laughs> Old man Morley, tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, how many crimes did Kevin commit during the movie? Uh, one. Wow. (laughs) The obvious one, he shoplifted. Yep. Then you got, uh, he did a B&E at the end of the movie, at the neighbor's pad. I thought of that too. (laughs) It was in service of a greater good, but still. But the fact that we don't get any closure to that, now it affects me. When I was a little kid, I brushed it off at the neighbor's house, like how they caught him. Because he broke in there, and the cops just show up, and they don't question what was going on. They just say, oh my god, these two burglars were taking him into custody. They're the wet bandits. Done. Like, we got a bow in 30 seconds, when the bow should have took a couple minutes. A scene or two earlier, Kevin does pretend to be the owner of that house, and he calls it in. It does, but like... It's gotta be one like the 80s, 90s things where they send the full force out there no matter what happens. Well, it is a affluent neighborhood where something like 90% of the neighborhood has gone on a Christmas vacation. <laughs> they prove it because the parents are calling all their neighbors from France and nobody's picking up. That means they're all gone. What neighborhood, unless it's some ritzy, high-class neighborhood, are you going to find that many people missing from their homes on Christmas? Uh, But then the maids would be there, like you said. (laughs) Someone's watching the house. Other crimes Kevin committed. He stole money from his brother's stash. He also assaulted him the night before. And I appreciate the stash now that I'm older. (laughs) Just because I got to mention it. He opens it up. First thing we all see is gentlemen. <laughs> say it. Say it. <laughs> the Playboy. The magazine of its time. You're like, I want to see the unrated cut where we get to see inside the magazine. <laughs> I was. <laughs> it really was. And then he mentions it a little bit. You know, that's where he looks at titties. Gross. You're like, whoa. <laughs> Red flag. Stop there. <laughs> Turn the movie off right now. It shows that he's wholesome, but it also shows that I've outgrown that character. Yes. Say, hey, hey, kid, hey, kid. Don't take it for granted, okay? (laughs) Enjoy that. Yep. We also have his attempted murder of Harry and Marv. (laughs) Yes, they were trying to break in, but I think they'd be pressing charges. I don't know if there are any stand-your-ground laws in Chicago. I think on that line, yeah, you're right. What he did to them was, oh my god, that was totally jacked up. When I saw that stuff, I was more in pain this time around. Hell yeah. I laughed with it, but I was in pain more, man. Like, oh, I can feel it. A darker version of this movie exists. Oh, I bet. Oh, and something that really took me off of Kevin's side is when he threatened the pizza guy. Oh, yeah. First, he gives him a lousy tip, and then he scares him. 
Why? Why, man? Why would you do that to a hardworking college kid? He threatened him, did all that stuff, but then I laughed it off a little bit because I was like, man, they really played that track out hardcore. There's no way in the world he heard that all the way to a scar. <laughs> you didn't hear that shooting all the way there. Your TV's not that loud. Wasn't it also the tiny television in the kitchen? Yep, yep. Keep that change, you filthy animal. So what was your favorite trap moment? The stairs and the tar. As a kid, that was my favorite trap. I don't know which one was more painful. That one or when the same guy is coming in through the window and he steps on the ornaments? Wait, you left your shoes, you went back outside and immediately slipped? That's when it gets especially cartoony. Come on, how about a little bit of blood? Just a little bit? Come on. No, no. They couldn't do that. It'd take the kids out of it, probably. I really liked the moment, and it's also Daniel Stern, when the clothes iron comes down the laundry chute. Oh, I reveled in pain this time, dude, because I imagine that thing being hot to leave an impression like that. Because that's one of the earlier ones in that sequence. Definitely the first one that I think should have killed him. (laughs) (laughs) Him, yes. But a guy that plays Harry? Oh, man. I feel like he got the worst of it, dude. Tried the back door and got the blowtorch to the head. (laughs) (laughs) And all it did is expose his bald scalp. (laughs) Yep. It's why they needed to have such an extravagant home. Because it is Kevin's series of kill rooms. (laughs) (laughs) since then they've made so many connections to the saw movies it really is that dude is an older kevin (laughs) oh my god it's believable after this rewatch i love how the first act especially the first scene showing the family and getting ready for the trip how you get a great sense of the geography of that house You see the basement, you see the attic, they establish that laundry chute so that later when he puts the clothes iron down it, you're not going, where'd that come from? They establish everything that allows us to take in all the gags toward the end because we've had this giant setup of how that space is laid out. What was your favorite comedy moment? Towards the end, it got good again. (laughs) My nostalgia kicked in a little bit. I feel like the first half has more comedy than the second. Really? No. If you're counting the traps, there is some humor to that. It's just more brutal than anything else at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Although there is a fun ad lib by Daniel Stern when Kevin escapes to the treehouse and they've lost track of him for a second. Where'd he go? Maybe committed suicide. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's just so stupid, but he says it. Wishful thinking. Yeah, I didn't catch that one. No, I missed that part. My favorite was at the beginning when they established that on this trip, Kevin is going to have to share a bed with his younger cousin, Fuller. Yeah. Who they say is a bedwetter. And hold on. Fuller's the one with the glasses, right? Yeah. Played by Macaulay Culkin's actual younger brother. What? Really? Yeah. Oh, damn. I did not know that at all. Okay. 
But a little later when they're eating the pizza, <laughs> Fuller's mother says to go easy on the Pepsi. And then Fuller smiles at Kevin while he's drinking it. <laughs> oh, I was like, you little snot. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he knows. <laughs> so you say that, and then I remember that, to me, that was more of like a Pepsi ad. And they kept popping up over and over and over. Drink Pepsi here, drink Pepsi here. Did it pop up later in the movie? A Pepsi can, yeah. He was eating ice cream and stuff like that. Yeah. There's a Pepsi hidden behind his chips. Uh. <laughs> Very good product placement in this movie. What criticisms might you have? One of the big ones that stuck out to me would be the bandits' timing. They're robbing a neighbor, and they hear the parents leave a message on their machine. So they go back to the house, and they find out Kevin's by himself. Kevin goes up to the attic and magically hears them downstairs talking to each other. And they say, I'm going to come back at 9 o'clock. <laughs> like, those bandits are on time, dude. <laughs> <laughs> they are the best bandits in the world perfectly on time they're pros yeah uh. but then you think about it Kevin had like an hour maybe to set up this whole elaborate thing at the house drop the plans and everything I want to say he found out earlier than that but there are some scenes in between and it does feel like he really doesn't have much time to physically put it together that's the magic of montages. Magic montages. They do in 15 seconds what would have taken them four hours. What would have taken them all day. Yeah. I wish there was more setup as to how Kevin is so good at making those traps. I wish they had said he was a Boy Scout or mm. maybe he helped make the haunted house that was put at the school gym every year. Some of those traps, I don't think I would have been able to concoct. This guy was able to do all this. He was so adult-like. It's a total power fantasy, not just his ability to make traps, but his ability to have a mom and a dad. <laughs> to live in that mansion like we were talking about. To be able to walk the streets <laughs> without anybody with him and not get immediately robbed or kidnapped. <laughs> Knowing how to ditch the kidnappers. And to have an old guy as your protector who doesn't have any lascivious motives. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to rat round one, random asinine thoughts and trivia. Stacy, did anything random pop into your head while watching this? Uh, yeah. Why am I watching this again at certain points? I was like... <sighs> I don't. I, I feel like it's that dope thing, man. Like a big dry spell was in that movie, dude. I think from a shoplifting all the way until probably when Marvin then found out he's by himself. Twenty minutes or so, it was just dry. The only standout when he's going grocery shopping and that clerk is asking him questions because she's suspicious about him doing all the shopping. Hold on, I got a coupon for that. It was in the paper this morning. Are you here all by yourself? Ma'am, I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Where's your mom? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and your sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? Uh, I can't tell you that. Why not? 
because you're a stranger. Woo, she goes ham on him. And I read that that was actually ad-libbed by both actors. What? Really? I've heard that Macaulay Culkin was good ad-libbing as a child actor. The director didn't call cut, and the clerk kept asking questions, so they just rolled with it. That looked totally staged, the way he aced it, though, man. <laughs> that had a snappiness to it that I wish had been more prevalent in the middle section of the movie, where it's him living it up and doing his day-to-day -day before the threat of the bandits. For my rat, Kevin is putting out the Christmas decorations, stockings for his missing family members, and then he puts out what is traditionally the milk and cookies for Santa. Oh. Did you catch that that plate had cookies and carrot sticks? I did. I did. That's like white people shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is. How is Santa supposed to fit down that chimney unless he's eating healthy? <laughs> Get him some carrot sticks. How about some ranch dressing? No, no. Not even Sally to go with him. If you're going to do it, <laughs> yeah. Put some wings on that tray. <laughs> wings, you get him a four course meal at this point, man. How do you think Santa got big and jolly? <laughs> it wasn't from eating carrot sticks, all right? <laughs> what kid's gonna put carrot sticks? Probably his mom badgering him the year before. Yep, yeah. It sounds like you do have pretty good memories about Home Alone. Do you remember anything back when Jumanji came out? Oh, definitely, man. I love Jumanji. Jumanji was the stuff. For some reason, like, majority of these 90s movies, they became my bedtime movies at one point or another. I'd go to bed watching them. Did you have a TV in your room? Yeah. You lucky bastard. I remember Home Alone played all the time on TV during the holidays. That wasn't a holiday movie for me. That was an everyday movie, Home Alone. Because were you home alone a lot? Not alone, you know, with the sisters. I think I still had the same vibe as Kevin. Just ignore them. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break so I can thank everyone out there that's listening. You've hit play on the screen companion from Japan to France to Chile. Your support keeps this show going. We're on plenty of podcast platforms, as well as YouTube... Subscribe, comment, hit us up at thescreencompanion at gmail.com. If you want to help me, the host, specifically, pick up a copy of my sci-fi novel, Traversal, The Weight of Worlds, available on Amazon. And now, back to it. Moving on to Jumanji from 1995. It takes place initially in 1969 where a boy and girl begin the eponymous board game that can conjure up a plethora of jungle dangers. The boy, Alan, gets sucked into the game and isn't let out until 1995, when two new children enter the game. Now, all four of them have to finish the game in order to reverse the destruction it's caused. Where does this rate on the Robin Williams acting scale? I say four out of five. Five being just peak of his career. Considering he has a reputation for raunchy humor and manic energy, the 90s, he was like a kid's movie god. Between this, 
Flubber, Hook, Aladdin. The 90s was his decade. It was, because that's how I know him, yeah. This isn't a five either. Like, that's the crazy part. <laughs> this isn't him perfect. What would be a perfect Robin Williams character? What was the robot movie? Bicentennial Man? What was it Bicentennial Man? That's the one where he's a robot who wants to be human. For someone that plays a robot that has huge range of emotions, like does everything. I gotta watch it again. We gotta do the show on that one. <laughs> what I noticed about this go around, between this and Hook, which were very close to each other in his filmography, this is the closest he ever got to being an action hero. He gives a very physical performance that isn't just to support his off-the-cuff humor. It's him wrestling crocodiles. It's him jumping down from cars, running. Very physical performance. That's true. And for this one, what feels firmly in the 90s? Those two kids that he meets, Judy and uh, what's the boy's name? Peter? Those two make it, man. They are 90s kids, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Kirsten Dunst, definitely. I kept watching her thinking, you're going to be Mary Jane one day. (laughs) (laughs) You say that, and and then I was like, you know, I jumped back in Younger's Me shoes when I was like, damn, I remember she was hot. She was smoking. I thought she was the stuff. She was the girl. Future girlfriend. She had quite a career in the 90s as a child actor. I don't know if I would put her on the same level in terms of being identified with the 90s as I would Christina Ricci. Yeah, she wasn't my type. I can tell you younger me none. She looked good, but she wasn't girlfriend material. (laughs) I agree. Kirsten Dunst, more girlfriend material. Although I wasn't too fond of her character in this movie. They set up that whole shtick being sardonic about the way her parents died the previous year. And even when they're having an emotional moment with Robin Williams' character, Alan, they're talking about both their parents, his parents and their parents are dead. And she starts saying that they were saving people in Africa or something, I forget. But then her brother nudges her, like, stop lying about it. Yeah. (laughs) I knew people like that in school, you know? This is high school. I knew a couple of chicks that were compulsive lies like that. Considering how small the cast is, I don't want one of them to be a liar for half the movie. I think that moment was supposed to be a comedy beat, but I wasn't digging it. I could kind of see it being comedy, yeah. To me, what makes this movie so 90s isn't so much the lack of technology or anything we're seeing on screen. I think it's that the way it's a mix of heart, action, and humor, it does it in a way that feels like a lost art. Nowadays, every character needs to constantly spout rude one-liners, they gotta reference pop culture, and they go through the motions without imbuing what's going on screen with emotion. Have you seen the sequel with The Rock? Is that the one with Kevin Hart? Yeah, Welcome to the Jungle. It's been a while, it's been like years, but yeah. I don't remember it too well, honestly. I saw it a couple years ago at a hotel. It's entirely forgettable. Even when I was watching it, I don't think I was really invested in any of the characters. Whereas this movie, it sets up the drama. Alan being sucked into the board game for 26 years. To me, this was more of like a horror movie for kids, honestly. 
I'm so happy you said that. Like a horror thriller type thing? Yeah. The first 30 seconds sets you up for something really dark. And if you're young, it puts you in like a mindset, a little zone with the music and everything. The score is really good for this too. Oh, it is. And it plays more scary in the front part of the grand adventure with the board game. They don't try to be as scary in the second half. Yeah. It just gets louder in the second part with uh, with the stampede and the spiders were kind of freaky, but not really because they didn't do anything. They just shuffled around. <laughs> you got the line. That was good. That was dark. Oh, music stopped for a second there. I love that. It would have been nice if they did something more with Peter turning into a monkey. Although you notice how as the scenes go on, the makeup gets more pronounced. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that, Dad. That was a good bit of detail. It's memorable. And for this, do you think it's closer to being for kids or adults? This one, I think, is a 50-50 split. The premise is just timeless. Definitely, it can appeal to both. Sudden parts, I drifted out, but I didn't drift out nearly as much as I did for Home Alone. It did just enough to keep me in. The music brought me back. like It really just reset the mood for me every time something happened. There is a lot of energy with the calamity that the board game creates. I wish they did more puzzle solving. Like when Peter hangs off of that log and grabs the board game out of the river. Stuff where they have to think a little bit how to solve certain problems. Instead, it's mostly just them running. <laughs> running for the last. <laughs> yeah. And what grade would you say a kid should be in when they're watching this? The grade would depend on like how they perceive it. it's going to be dark to them. What, about sixth grade? I said second grade because if we're talking enjoying the movie, the younger you go, the scarier it is. And I think that's more impressionable than maybe just the fun feeling of it that you have as you get older watching it. You want to be around the age of kids and start the board game. That's like the primo, right? That's like what, middle school? Maybe Peter is high elementary school. I'd say middle school. At that age, you kind of like, the chick was, she's like, I'm done board games. Forget this. I was seven when the movie came out. Oh, damn. This is by coincidence. I wasn't considering this when I said second grader, but I would have been a second grader. Wow. And I remember enjoying the movie and also being a little more freaked out during certain scenes. That's probably why it gave me a much darker film. <laughs> I was much younger then. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. I was like, <laughs> four or five. So, yeah, I probably ended up being like seven through ten when I first watched it. Like, I actually watched it. I could imagine somehow we're in the theater together at that time. I'm loving it and you're crying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe five is too young. <laughs> but seven, spot on. <laughs> it's going to be no surprise to say that those of us on the show get geeky sometimes. TV, movies, what have you. It just so happens both Stacy and myself do enjoy board games. And not just the typical Monopoly, Stratego stuff. Do you have any questions or comments about the rules of the actual game? No, but I was taken aback this watch through when I realized that, like, everybody, the first thing they did when they opened the board game was what? Read the goddamn instructions. Why? Your kids. 
Why? <laughs> what is this, you know? Jumanji. A game for those who seek to find a way to leave their world behind. You roll the dice to move your token, doubles gets another turn, and the first player to reach the end wins. You want to play? What do you mean? It makes sense. Why wouldn't you read the instructions? It makes sense, but like, come on, man. When you were a kid, when you got something brand new, did you automatically go straight to the instructions? No. And if it was a board game, you didn't do that. No, but maybe if I discovered it buried deep in the side of a ditch the way <laughs> Alan does at the beginning of the movie, then maybe I'd be more interested in reading what it's about, this mystery item. You see, he did, but at the same time, they missed the fine print. And our new age kids, guess who found the fine print? Your crush? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> that was convenient for the script. There isn't a whole lot to that board game. There are two panels on either side with words. The people that discovered it at the beginning in 1969, they only read one flap. Come on. <laughs> it's not even that long. It's like a paragraph. <laughs> but it's the fine print. It's tiny, man. It's that uh, 12 times New Roman italicized. <laughs> with the games we've played, this probably feels more like an American board game than a European one, right? Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. It's like one of those really simple ones. I wish they looked at the bottom to see if it was like ages four and up. <laughs> it probably would have been. <laughs> Look at the board. They're all blank spaces. I understand there's a thing in the middle, kind of like a magic eight ball that tells you stuff. It's a really simple game. Yeah, no cars to draw either. Nothing to keep track of. Okay, so part of the plot is that Alan, this kid, gets stuck in Jumanji because he rolls and it says that he's going to be out of the game until somebody rolls a five or an eight. It looks like it plays a maximum of four because there are four pieces. But at the time, it was just him and Sarah playing. Does that mean she'd keep rolling until either she won or she rolled and set him free? I guess, yeah. You had no choice, huh? <laughs> Doesn't that make her seem even worse? <laughs> <laughs> she kept them in their own purpose. <laughs> it was just a couple of bats, Sarah. Come on. <laughs> and is there a rule about how long you have to wait between rolls? I put myself in the situation. I'm like, okay, Stacy and I, we get caught up playing this crazy game, life and death situation. I would just keep rolling. <laughs> you know, you roll, I roll, and just keep rolling so that the game would finish before all the bad stuff happens. <laughs> it's got to have, like, some kind of stopper, you know? Like, you must experience some bad stuff at some point. Like, you got to go through the whole motion. Like, you got to see the mosquitoes come in. Something's got to stop you. Can't just keep rolling. The rules with the game and how nebulous they are, it's as hard to follow as the gremlins in the movie Gremlins, and the rules associated with them. This doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't, but it works, <laughs> it works for the scenario. <laughs> oh, and since the game reset time once it was finished... Which got me when I was a kid, that tripped me up big time. Does that mean they could have all died and just been brought back because the game would have ended? Yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah. If there's no more players, the game's over. And it seems like once the game ends, time reverts. 
which actually ends up making it less dangerous and more fun. Because you're like, okay, if anybody dies, they'll be back once the game's over. Bro, get that lion. That's okay. Although that means you'd still have to experience being eaten by a lion. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that part. Although, in the way that people break games and come up with their own rules, I would hear the drums and I would grab that board game and I would keep it in my collection and I would roll once and then just leave the game unplayed on my deathbed and then I would <laughs> roll again. Oh, good. And then once I die, the game resets and then I would just keep living infinitely. So it would reset back to, back to when you did the original roll? Yeah, back to when I first got the game, right? That's what happened to the kids. Yeah. Once everything resets, I understand that it means Alan never got sucked in the board game. It's 1969. He's got a new girlfriend. He's got a good relationship with his folks. They never get heartbroken because he disappeared. How is it that they can change the timeline and they remember the other kids, Robin Williams' character and Sarah, played by Bonnie Hunt, they're adults in 1995. Them in the 60s, they retain their memories. And then the kids from the 90s also retain their memories. Do they retain their memories? I think they kind of hinted towards they did. Because the kids gave them, like, they look like, I kind of know you. They weren't weirded out by the way that couple fawned over them. But your parents are still alive. They didn't die. Yeah. That's got to be discombobulating to remember the sadness over your parents dying. And how much does it suck for those parents who died in a ski trip in Canada? If I was those parents' kids, I would never let them ski ever again. <laughs> And the whole time, the parents were like, why? Why won't you let me go skiing in Canada? There was this board game, and you were dead, and... <laughs> <laughs> we just can't have that. <laughs> what were some of your favorite scenes or performances? Besides Kirsten Dunst's winning smile. <laughs> we're talking about young me back then. Did you see her in an interview with a vampire? Nah. You're not going to have a crush on her in that movie. What? Why not? She plays a freaking bloodthirsty vampire. That's fine. Let's get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I really liked how Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt played up the hang-ups that they had from starting the game decades earlier, and it stays in the background the whole movie. They're very awkward, overwhelmed, anxious, in a way that their child companions are either too naive or too fresh to the trauma of the board game to understand what's happened. Leave a message and the doctor will call you back at his earliest convenience. Dr. Bornstein, that event we've been discussing for a long time now, the one that didn't really happen, oh boy, I'm having an episode here today. If you could call me, I'd really, really be interested in your interpretation. Thank you so much. While we're waiting... Sarah, 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 it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. It really was. But it was real. Real. No, no, no. It wasn't real, Alan. Your father murdered you and he chopped you up into little pieces. Sarah, come on. My dad did that. 
My father could barely hug me, let alone cut me into little pieces. Do you have any criticisms for this movie? I do. It's when they actually go meet her. Sarah Whittle, Alan remembers her. She remembers him, but she passes out. And they straight up kidnap her. And no one says anything. Nobody. Like, she's not even concerned when she gets kidnapped. <laughs> when they find her at her house and she's a fortune teller? Yeah. That gets introduced and then not explained ever. Okay, you remember the black cop? Yeah. Was he the son of the guy that worked at the factory, or what was up with that? No, he was the guy at the factory. Oh, he was the guy at the factory. He didn't age at all in 26 years. Well, black don't crack. (laughs) My criticism for this movie, I wish the dangers of the game were more obvious. The characters at least tried to prepare a little bit between dice rolls. They're just sitting around the board game like it's just a normal board game. (laughs) Stacey, if we were in that situation... I would bring a kitchen knife, you'd go get a golf club or something, and while one guy is rolling, the other guy is standing up, waiting to see what's going to happen, you know, has a gun ready. <laughs> you'd have to get a gun too, man. <laughs> like you, you'd become a hunter. <laughs> and why would they always want to bring the game back into the house? Like it needed to be played there. <laughs> it barely offered any sort of protection as events transpired. One might argue that it actually was worse for them being cooped up in that house with the spiders and everything else. I liked it, though. It worked. Just because the house became a jungle. Our final round of random asinine thoughts and trivia. Do you have anything for Jumanji? I wish we got to see more of him in the jungle since we played so much Outside, I want to see like him growing up in the jungle, his life, what it was like. Because we get a hint of him when he sees the magical bathroom. He's like, oh, yes, no more banana leaves. And being an adult, I'm like, oh, he's got to take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it creepy how Kirsten Dunst is listening at the door? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to hear some sounds of poopy going into the water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're like, Kirsten, you can listen to me on the other side of the door whenever you want to, baby. <laughs> can come in if you like. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> Oh my god. My bit of rat for you. I like that the fictional town of Brantford, New Hampshire actually feels like the Granite State. I am a Granite Stater. I grew up an hour away from where a lot of this movie was shot. What? They shot it in Keene, New Hampshire. Unlike L.A. where you're from, believe it or not, New Hampshire doesn't get brought up a lot in movies. The most we can hope for is that they'll show the greater metropolitan area, go down to Boston. And of course, they always, in movies, got to play up the Boston accent. And they do actually have some characters in this movie with a New England accent, but they don't overplay it. I like how you have David Allen Greer. He's great. I just fairly recently saw Dr. Sleep with Ewan McGregor, the follow-up to The Shining. It takes place in a small town in New Hampshire. The locations don't look like New Hampshire. The movie features a little black girl 
Not to say we don't have black people in New Hampshire. However, my dad and I were laughing about it. There's a scene where she's in school, and in the background, there's like at least 50%, if not more, of the kids in the background are minorities. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what? And they're just a bunch of minorities in the movie. They're doing it for inclusivity and diversity. Fair enough. However, if you do that in every movie that's depicting every place, especially in America, it comes off as so cheesy and so generic because every place is a multicultural space, and that's just not true. It's definitely not true. We have some blackness in this movie, Jumanji, but they don't go overboard with it like it's some ethnicity summit. (laughs) I'm living proof that the state does have minorities. Hollywood, you need to get your act together and actually show it the way it is. I understand you want to put more minorities in your movies. Save it for the movies that take place in cities. Save it for your Friday Part (laughs) 5. When Friday after next Friday of the next Friday comes out. (laughs) Friday for the new year. I remember even back when the movie was being shot, of course, the state's so small, everybody was hearing about it. Oh my god, they're shooting a movie with Robin Williams just down the street, practically. <laughs> An hour away, down the street, oh my god. <laughs> well, like 10, 20 minutes, you know, LA, that's down the street. <laughs> and now, the final segment of the show, TLDL, too long, didn't listen. I'm going to throw some questions at you. Try to give me nice, short, sweet responses. Which movie would you put on for a group of kids having a sleepover? Home Alone. Which one would be a better watch for the whole family? Jumanji. Where does this rank in Macaulay Culkin performances? Not notoriety, but actual performance. Top, middle, or bottom tier? It's the pinnacle right here. Top tier. Can't believe you said that. No way. Oh yeah, S plus Macaulay Culkin here, man. I'm curious to see if his performance is much different in Home Alone 2, but I just really wasn't buying a lot of his scenes. His acting felt like he was a child actor acting. He did, but it's part of it. You go into it expecting that. Uh, great that you set the bar that low. <laughs> <laughs> you have to, because it's a child actor, dude. I set the bar higher with my nostalgia, sir. Higher with my nostalgia. Okay. I want to bask in my nostalgia. I don't want to just say, eh, that'll do. That'll do, pig. <laughs> That's gonna be. <laughs> that will do. What would have been a better addition? Kevin having a friend to play off of, because for a lot of Home Alone, he's just by himself. Or, if Dave and Alan Greer had been a main part of the Jumanji crowd. Dave Alan Greer, was he the, uh, the huntsman? No, he was the black dude, the cop. Oh. How do you not know David Alan Greer? You need to watch more in Living Color. <laughs> uh, he brought, like, a nice comedy element. He did. I wish there was more of him. At the same time, if Home Alone had someone to play off of, he could have done more with the limited time he had. What about that annoying kid when everybody's getting on to the shuttles? Took his place, sounded just like him, exact height, very similar build. 
I wish he had showed up later so that Kevin could talk to another kid his own age. I'd say the other kid. It could have gave some good dialogue, especially at the store, if they were caught shopping together. We know Home Alone is played a lot at Christmas. Could you see Jumanji being played at Halloween? Yeah. What's harder to accept? The lack of established rules in Jumanji, or the fact that none of the Wet Bandit's injuries seriously hurt them? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm going to go with adult perspective on this. Adult perspective. I'm going to say the Wet Bandit's injuries. That bugged me way more. I just accepted that as part of the tone of the movie, that it's supposed to be slapsticky, and obviously if they were really getting hurt, that would bump up the rating. Yeah. It was hard for me to feel some of the tenseness for Jumanji, because really, it is like playing Sorry or some really simple board game. <laughs> the only thing those characters in the movie know is that they have to roll. Oh, and don't cheat. <laughs> yeah. Don't cheat or you'll be turned into a monkey boy. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have I yelled that at you when we were playing? <laughs> Damn it, Stacy! if you keep cheating, okay, you're going to be turned into a monkey boy, okay? <laughs> That's like a classic insult hurled at board game stores. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen this monkey boy? He cheated. <laughs> Banned for life. <laughs> but I think that's why I was there to let it go. For time's sake, you just got to keep pushing forward in Jumanji. You know, you can't look back. I think that's the jungle thing, you know, just keep running, keep going. And if somebody's our age and they want that nostalgia hit, which movie should they return to? I got to break this up. Home Alone, watch the last 20 minutes. Bam, you get your fix there. Jumanji, watch the first 30 seconds. Fast forward (laughs) to where the lion pops in and our boy Alan is there to say the day magically. Give that 20 minutes. Skip to the last 15 minutes. You're good. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what? <laughs> you would be an editor's nightmare. Why? Stacy, how do we cut this movie? Uh, cut it down to 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need this scene. We don't need to know this character motivation. Show me the lion. Get to the lion. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was one of the scariest scenes in that movie. That lion had a lot of character. He was a cool lion. And I loved when the aunt walks in on the lion sleeping on the bed. (laughs) He was grooming? Just looks more annoyed than anything else. It's almost like he forgot he's part of the game. Yeah. I don't want to kill you anymore. Just leave me alone. I'm hanging out. (laughs) 